if we want to be ready for the future, we have to, yeah, let, let me say it like that, we have to generate our own crisis without having a financial crisis. And this is even harder because the reluctance for change is even higher. If everybody asks you, why should you change it? It's going quite well. We're earning our money. It's, it's running. It's working. Why that change? Sometimes it's easier if you have really a fundamental financial crisis than it becomes obvious for everybody. Welcome to the Loss and Transformation podcast series dedicated to the complex world of digital transformation. We feature guests from large corporations, startups, consultancies, and more to shed light on the success factors around innovation, transformation, and adjacent topics. We share firsthand insights and inspiration from experts for all the entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and anyone curious about digital transformation. Thomas Fell is the CEO of GS1, a nonprofit organization that standardizes secure and efficient business processes that are applied worldwide. GS1's most famous product is the barcode that automized shopping processes over 40 years ago. Thomas opens up about the inspiring transformation program of GS1 and how they strive to redefine their role in an IoT world. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Thomas. Uh, I'm glad to have you as a guest here today on Lost and Transformation. And thanks for, so much for joining us. So you are the CEO at GS1 in Germany, which is an organization that sets standards for efficient and secure business processes and whose journey actually began back in the days with the barcode that we now use every day to scan products. And today we want to know how your journey with GS1 basically started and how it was also transformed over the past couple of years due to changes from inside and outside. But to start off, could you tell us a bit more about yourself and what GS1 does in general? Yeah, Christina, hello. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be part of that podcast, Lost in Transformation. My name is Thomas Fell and I'm, as you mentioned, the CEO of the GS1 here in Germany and I'm a member of the Worldwide Board. And I'm on this very specific and gladful role since three years. My background is a pure business background. I worked all my business life in IT industry with a strong focus on consumer product goods and retail. So I started uh, 25 years ago with IBM, where I worked 16 years in different roles. The last role was a general manager here in Germany. And then I moved to a startup company, which was a very interesting period of two years. And then I was the global leader for Winco Nixdorf of their retail business around the globe, which brought me a lot of time to Singapore, where our Asian headquarter was. It was a quite, quite interesting time to the business in Asia all around. And since three years, I'm now with GS1. And the specific thing on GS1 is basically nobody knows the company, but everybody knows the product. Uh, you have to sometimes in the market. Yeah, very often people ask me, GS what? What are you doing? And our product is indeed, like you mentioned, the barcode. And this is the barcode for identification of products, which you find on every single product you identify or you pick in a supermarket. If you look at it, it's this small barcode on it to identify the product. And that's what coming from GS1 and a lot of other things. And this journey began in 1974 with the so-called first beep in a supermarket in Ohio, when the first product was really scanned, and in these days, it was a Rickless chewing gum, which was scanned in 1974 the first time. And up to today, today we scan more than 6 billion products every 
day, which means nearly every person on planet Earth is scanning a product once a time on a day. And that's a quite impressing and interesting area to work in. Yeah, super interesting to hear also what was the very first product, something for us now, it's something we take for granted that we have it when we go shopping. If we wind back to when it all started for GS1, you said around 40 years ago, how would you describe the status quo at GS1? What did the world look like before the whole transformation? Yeah, it's a little bit back to our, our vision statement. We believe in the power of standards to transform the way we work and live. And we definitely changed the way how a supermarket worked and is working today. If you go back to these days, I mean, without scanning, you have to identify every product with an article number and type it in in a cash registry, which was pretty slow and a lot of times inaccurate. And the idea of using a barcode to identify products was a pretty smart one. But as a lot of times, it was a little bit a hand and egg problem. If you don't have the barcode on every product, it's not materializing buying all the equipment. If you buy all the equipment and have limited number of products with a barcode, it makes no sense. So it was a huge debate these days between retailers and industry companies. Can we align on that standard on a global basis? and roll it out. And it starts slowly in the early or mid-70s, and it really boomed in the 80s and 90s. And today, I mean, today you cannot think that you can work without a barcode on a product in the retail arena. And in, by the way, in a lot of other industries in the meanwhile as well. If you look to the healthcare industry, where you identify not only healthcare products, but patients and things like that. In the logistics area where You identify all the shipment, parcels, and so on and so forth. It's a world which will not work this way without these standards. And that's quite impressive to see and to realize. And it's not the end of the journey. I would say with the world of IoT, we are at the beginning of the next level. Yeah, super interesting. So there's definitely more changes to come in the future. And now that we're also talking about change and also the VUCA world that we live in nowadays, was there a certain point in time where the company felt like it needed to change to survive? Was there a certain catalyst for change, so to say? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. As I started three years ago, the company was and is in very good shape. So a lot of times the reason for transformation is a crisis. And most of the time, the reason for transformation is a financial crisis. So as I started here in that company, there was no crisis and no financial crisis. Everything, it works, it rolls. Why change something? But I realized that the way we are working or we were working three years ago was a little bit an organization of the late 80s, very hierarchical, order and command, so this was the leadership style, which wasn't bad for a very long time. And it's independent from the leadership styles, how successful you are as a company. And we were successful, but it was my intention to say, this will not bring us into the future. We need to become more agile, more open, more interested in innovation, open for new things. And to do so, we need, first of all, we need a, a little bit of different culture a more open, trustful culture. And so I said, if we want to be ready for the future, we have to, yeah, let, let me say it like that, we have to generate our own crisis without having a financial crisis. And this is even harder uh, because the reluctance for change is even higher 
if everybody asks you, why should you change it? It's going quite well. We're, we're earning our money. It's, it's running. It's working. Why that change? Sometimes it's easier if you have really a fundamental financial crisis, then it becomes obvious for everybody. Yes, we have to change. I understand. Out of a quite solid situation, only with the, with the bright future vision, it's, it's even harder. But we started that journey because we think the world around us is changing. And you mentioned it with VUCA, which is the acronym, which is in the market for a couple of years, where you say the world is really changing. VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And if you talk about volatility, it's becoming obvious for all of us that the world is really crazy. Look to the stock market and the exchanges and the ups and downs. It's really volatile like hell. And the uncertainty is, is growing as well in, in, in the nowadays world. So as I started in business, it was obvious in IBM that we have done a 10-year technology outlook. So nobody will ever do today a 10-year technology outlook. Even five years are too long because it's so uncertain in, in all dimensions. And yes, it's becoming more and more complex. If you look in my arena in the supply chain network, how complex they are. So if you see the corona crisis, what does it mean for worldwide global supply chains, how they crash and have to be rebuilt in real time, things like that. It's pretty complex. And ambiguity is around in our world as well. If you look to the global market where some countries think we have to do protection tariffs, and put additional taxes on specific products. And what it's really causing is a quite interesting question because a lot of times you cannot even say this. So sum it up, we are in a world which is really changing. And this means we have to change as well. And what comes in addition to the VUCA world, let's take this acronym for a second, is that technology is developing very fast as well. And technology is really developing exponentially. So since last March, we all know what exponentiality means and exponential growth means Yeah, in the corona crisis. So you don't even have to explain it any longer to people. But technology is developing alongside that as well, pretty, pretty fast. And sometimes I give an example if, if I'm on stage. I say, if you walk in a linear world, 30 steps, and if you do big steps, then it's approximately 30 meters on a stage. If you do 30 exponential steps, so one meter plus two meters plus four meters plus eight meters, and do this 30 times, only 30 times, you walk around the planet Earth for 26 times. And this is what exponential growth really means. And if you think this in technology, it's massive. And it was interesting to talk to some leading companies in technology area. If you ask them, where do you think we are on this exponential curve? Are we at the beginning? Are we at the end? And most of them say we are right around or a little bit above the tipping point where the next doubling of technology is really massive. And this is what we can experience if we talk about artificial intelligence, if we talk about blockchain, if we talk about IoT, it's really massively developing. And the combination of a VUCA world and massive technology is driving a lot of change. And we have to prepare ourselves um, to that as well. Right. I really like the analogy of taking steps in a linear world versus in an exponential world. So I think that is really true to what's happening around us. And um, we're like in the midst of it, as you just said. And then, so that was basically the 
changes around us that are happening. And then when GS1 also realized, okay, we need to change as a company as well. So then you obviously started that big transformation program and journey. Could you guide us through this journey from the very beginning? Like what were maybe some first approaches to the problems that were there? Yeah, um, happy to do so. So first of all, we said VUCA is not only a threat. The VUCA world is threatening a lot of people. But we translate it in a way for us saying WUKER can also be the solution. If we translate WUKER in a different way, so if we say we UCA stands for, the we stands for vision. So we said it's important that we have a clear vision and understanding of our future. And this is answering the most important question, why we are here, why we are here as a company. By the way, it's important for every person as well to answer the question why I'm here, why I'm doing what I'm doing. But it's even important for companies answering that question, why we are here, having a clear vision. Or nowadays we often say purpose, which is slightly different, but goes in the direction of vision. And the you in VUCA, we translated for us in understanding. We have to explain why we want to do this or that. It's not enough just to announce what we do. We have to do, we have to explain why we're doing things. And nowadays, even more important because the, the younger generation is simply asking why. Therefore, we need clarity. Yeah. We, we have to be transparent and very clear and full of clarity what we are doing. And then we have to be agile as an A in the VUCA world. The old models are a little bit too slow, too static. So we have to find different ways of working together in an in a agile way. So we translated the, the VUCA from a threatening description of the world a little bit into this is the room for our solution if we translate it with vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. And the element we, we used is the so-called golden circle. Some of you might know this. Um, the golden circle starts with the why and then gives an answer on the how and then on the what. Most people start with what they do and then they say how they do it and they forget to tell why they do it. So we, we really turned it around, which is a tough piece of work at the end of the day, starting with the why, why we are doing things, why we are here, um, what is our purpose and things like that. And then think about how we do this and the how at the end of the day is the competitive advantage. How you are doing things is a competitive advantage, which is not easy to copy. That's your intellectual knowledge. And then um, you say what you are doing. And then it's, it's much more clear for the people, for the customers to understand this way. And this is a hard piece of work because it's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of thinking, which is not bad, to describe this and to phrase this. And we said from the beginning in our transformation, this is a transformation from us for us. We don't want to be transformed from an outside consultant. We made a decision, uh, these, the, the early days as a management team, that's from us for us. And from the first day on, we, we wanted to involve a lot of people in that transformation. So it should be free and open for everybody who wants to be in the core team of transformation. So the, the early start um, definitely was that I identified a group of people from whom I thought they can really bring value into that transformation and independently from hierarchy. Yes, obviously, the core leadership team, if they could not 
give value to a transformation, then you should ask the question why they are there. So yes, they are part of that group. But from the first day on, a lot of people out of the organization from whatever positions, they were part of that first transformation team, which was a group of 12 people sitting together and really start thinking how we should do this in the early days of 2018. Wow. Yeah. So something super new taking on from the very beginning. I could imagine that this must have been like a really big uh, project in front of these 12 people. And now that you're telling us more about the program, can you maybe state a few concrete examples of what has changed during this program? Uh, maybe how it was before and how it is now? Yeah. So the, the first sessions were Everything from crazy to chaotic uh, to long nights and long discussions. And this was really needed. By the end of the day, it became obvious for us that we, in our transformation, do have three elements. We have, for sure, a cultural transformation element. We will see an organization transformation element. And we see a business transformation element. And with the famous statement from Peter Trucker, Peter Trucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast. This is really true. So we said we have to start with a cultural transformation before we can continue with organizational or business transformations. And what we have done at the very beginning, we used a tool, a web-based tool called Syntetron, which is an online chat. And we had a two-hour chat with all the employees, an anonymous chat, where we ask people where you think where we are as an organization, what are our issues, what are our problems. And the Syntetron tool, they have some specific elements in it that you really can work out the key topics, positive or negative, very fast. would be too long in that session to explain how this works, but it's a really smart and clever tool to do so. And the outcome was that the biggest issue we see, all our employees, all of our teams see, is really in the cultural elements that they said these days, we don't have a transparent communication culture. We don't have a lot of trust in each other or an open exchange of mind or that we increase internal careers. A lot of people are coming from outside that we need a modern leadership style or more modern leadership style. That strategy is not pretty clear. And on the positive side, we got a lot of feedback that we have super interesting topics to work with and where we are, and that we have very interesting teams and colleagues, and that is all fine, but that we are very static, a lot of hierarchy in relatively small company and things like that. So it was obvious to start on cultural things and a little bit of organizational transformation, and then we go to the big business topic. And to your question, what we are starting with in the first days of these transformations, so the, the core team of transformation is exchanging all these ideas, and we work with initiatives. We call them initiatives. So every employee, every employee can start an initiative with a team of people and work on a specific topic. So first we selected what is important, with which initiatives we can have an influence, we can have an effect, and become a better company at the end of the day. And we picked the first, I think, the first 18 of them and, and worked on that. And to give you some examples, a big topic for a lot of people was, can we work mobile? So this was in 2018. There was some people were allowed to work mobile. Some people were allowed to spend half a day or a day in home office. 
but there was no, no general idea how we can work in a mobile way. So we worked it out. It was a team of 12 people throughout the organization who worked out how can a mobile work look like. And the end of this outcome is it was fabulous. It was, it was great. It was a very balanced model. We have today, we have two models. We have an office model and we have a mobile model. And if you make a decision for the mobile model, and if it works for your job role and description, you work mobile. Mobile means, for example, that you don't have a fixed desk in the office. You have a flex desk in the office. You can work from wherever it's appropriate to work from. You can work from home, in the train, in the plane, yeah, wherever. And even in the, in the office, you're mobile. This brought a lot of flexibility into our organization and into our office structure. And know what? With, with Corona, as it started in March, we were ready to go. Everybody was working mobile from that on. And it was easy. Over a weekend, we were ready to do so. But surprisingly, I mean, other companies learned their lessons as well. And this is a good example. We worked around nine months to set it up and to do it and to find our way how to do mobile working. It was interesting to see in, in, in early April where very traditional companies learned very fast within one or two weeks and set up a mobile concept as well. So which is a good example that sometimes you learn swimming faster in cold water. Yeah? <laughs> so if you have to do it, if there is really the, the need in your neck to do something, it, sometimes it's getting faster then and you come to solutions as well. This was an interesting learning experience for us. But we felt these days pretty comfortable because we have done it. Another example was that we introduced the Leadership Dialogue 360. A lot of you know this. We don't have this. And from the principle, it's very easy. You get a feedback from your boss, from your peers, and from your employees. So you have a 360 feedback. Technology-wise or process-wise, it was easy to implement. It was more a question of trust. Can I be really open? Yeah. Can I trust on the system that I don't get penalized afterwards and things like that? So cultural aspects. And we worked a lot of that. And since two years, we, we have it now. And in addition, we have an employee engagement index, which is very important for us. So these are things we, we haven't done before. Another aspect for culture, perhaps, we tested ourselves with these, I'm sorry for this expression, but it's how we call it in Germany, the fuck-up nights. <laughs> where a couple of people coming together at a, at a late night and telling about their biggest mistakes and what they learned from it and exchange with some other people who are willing to do so as well in a, in a smaller group and environment, and they learn from themselves. The last example, perhaps, at that stage, we worked out a concept, education from employees to employees. It's very, very interesting to see that the employees, they don't have only competences in what they are doing over the day. They have much more competences. And very often they are very passionate in these other competences. And if you open them a platform or a room or area where they can share this with other employees, it's a very dynamic environment all of a sudden where people are very passionate to educate their colleagues in specific topics. So we opened some room and time with a method, methodology to do so. And this was very well accepted as well and gives a really totally different spirit, even, even cultural-wise. So these are three little examples of what we have done. Yeah, it's super fascinating uh, to hear how these initiatives all change basically the company towards the better or uh, for a better experience of the company. But 
accept from the things that went well and what you just shared as examples now. I'm also quite curious to hear about anything that perhaps didn't work out the way you imagined or an initiative that failed, perhaps, that you could learn from? Yes, definitely. Not, not everything went well. We learned our lessons in some things. For example, if you start an initiative with 30 people and you have too much time, then it's not a guarantee for the best outcomes. So we learned a lot. What is the best setup for an initiative? It's easier to work with five passionate people than with 30 who wants to be part of that. And it's a, it's a nightmare to do all this coordination effort. We learned that it's better to work with time boxing in initiatives. So in the meanwhile, we say it's either 30, 60 or 90 days for an initiative. You may use, you select this, but then it's over. Yeah? Then the initiative will be closed after 90 days and you have to communicate the results. So perhaps we start another initiative for the second phase is needed. But we think time boxing was very good because we had some long-running initiatives where all of a sudden we realized, are, the, are we really working on that? Is it really important for us? And, and, and things like that. And we underestimated how long it takes for a cultural change. Yeah, this really takes years. <laughs> Sorry to say so. It, it, it's not a quick effort. Building trust is a long way. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you have to give the organization the time for this cultural change. And the, the second point, a very important point, is that it's always starting from the top. Yeah? You, you cannot pray, pray water and drink wine, obviously. This is not working. So you have to become the front runner for all of these changes on your own as well. And then you can drive this enthusiasm in the organization that, that people are following. So we skip with a lot of traditional things, which you know from companies. So for example, I don't have an office at all. So I'm, I'm sitting on flex desk as well. We had a lot of these traditional status symbols. Yeah. This is my office. And if I'm an executive, I have two window lines. And if I'm a manager, I have one window line. So now we have no office at all. This is a drastic change. And we had this typical situation three years back. It's a simple example, but it shows where I want to go to because it's so simple. We had this famous license plate on the parking area. And the higher you are in the hierarchy, the closer the license plate is to the entrance doors. Yeah, so, yeah, it looks a little bit old-fashioned, but it was, it was the case. So I said, all these license plates, they have to disappear. And I'll give you a, a little flavor how people are thinking. I got a question. Yes, we, we can take them off, but then we have holes in the wall. I said, yeah, you're right. We have holes in the wall. We need a different plate then on that place. Yeah, but what should you put on it? What about customer? Put customer on it. So the closest parking area to the entrance door is now customer, customer, customer. This is a little and perhaps stupid signal, but it is a signal. And don't underestimate the power of signal. If you have to go forward, you have to be the, the front runner as a CEO, even with signals like that. That's pretty important. Wow. Yeah. I like that how those small changes or those changes that we perceive as small actually make a big impact. And probably like a lot of people in different companies, they're also not aware of things that have been the way they are always, that you can change them at any time. And that makes a big difference in the company. So it's really interesting to hear the initiatives that you guys went through. And now with also all the learnings that you uh, just mentioned, is there like a bigger purpose or vision for the journey of GS1 of where you are headed with the whole program? Anything that keeps you going? 
What keeps us going? Transformation, I would say, never stops. That's a journey where you never reach the target line. It's a continuous process. And one thing which we have done, it's a lot of extra work if you are in the core team of these transformations. So I told you at the beginning of that podcast from the 12 people who, who started it. Yeah? And it's, it's very difficult to start such a journey. To push the car at the beginning is harder than it later on it, it rolls and it flows and it's uh, becoming better. But the starting point is very difficult. You have to be very pushy before you can generate a pull. So that this is extra work of these 12 people. They do in addition to their normal daily work or there's part of their daily work. So we made a decision that we want to have every year a new team taking over this responsibility for 12 months. So the core team of transformation is, in the meanwhile, an election process, which we do at the end of every year. And we elect 12 people who are the core team for the next year. And this works in a way that you send a motivation letter, why you want to be part of that team, what your ideas for the next level of transformation might be for the following year. And all the employees are voting, a simple voting system. And the top 12 are the next team for the next year. So we have every year a new core team of transformation who is really in the inner circle, the driving force and, and guiding us through this information, which is uh, very important. And in the meanwhile, obviously, we work a lot on uh, organizational transformation and on business transformation. We now have a situation where we know how initiatives are working where we can collaborate across all our departments. We don't even have departments any longer, by the way. We have honeycombs. <laughs> so we have an organizational structure, which is totally unusual compared to the traditional hierarchical org charts where you have the boxes and the lines. We have honeycombs. Honeycombs in a way that at least you have six sides to the next honeycomb and not only one line. So across all these honeycombs, we know how to work together through our cultural transformation. And now we can really work together for big, big business transformational things that we ask ourselves, what is our role as GS1 in the IoT world? 30 billion devices are talking to each other in the near future. And what is our role with our identification schemes and standards in an IoT world, which is a big, essential question for our company. And where we are using the same principles like this little cultural transformation stuff through these initiatives, working together and find answer to even big, big business questions. And that's really great to see that this can work and that this is working. And it comes all alongside with a big, the biggest change I would say is that we give trust to the people, but we give responsibility to the people as well. So trust and responsibility are a pair. It's not coming alone. Yeah, you cannot say, yes, trust me, but please keep the responsibility on your side. This is not working. Trust and responsibility is coming together. And this is a huge change for a lot of people to realize, oops, yes, trust is fine, but responsibility might be a burden. And this is the cultural change which we achieved and then start doing things yeah, and are open for failures. So we do things, then we hold on, we learn around it, we develop it, we continue. And yes, I would say courage comes really from doing. <laughs> 
Yeah, I find it super inspiring how much change you've already achieved within the company. And um, I'm also curious to know how you actually measure if you're like whether you've been successful with the initiative now that it's been in place for quite a while already. Is there any like metric that you have in place or how do you do that? Yes, we, we have a very simple metric. And this is for everybody in our company, the same metric. So we don't have any longer any individual metrics. If I need to put money on the table that somebody is doing something, then he is exactly doing that thing. But this is not how we want to work. So we are successful together or we are not successful together. So we have all the same targets. And our measurements are our targets. And this is basically the net promoter score, which we introduced. So the net promoter score, we... We measure on 18 touch points around the year, and then we have an all-over net promoter score. This is one target. And then the free cash flow of our company. So I, I would be able to run a company with these two measurements, by the way, net cash flow and net promoter score, or free cash flow and net promoter score. We have four. In addition, we have then the employee engagement index, which is a standardized tool as well, where we measure every day the employee engagement index, which is for the leaders, a very important aspect. And obviously the revenue as a company as well. So basically we measure internally and externally against these four KPIs, net promoter score, free cash flow, employee engagement, index and revenue. And that's what it is for all of us. And if we are not moving the needle on these four things, then we have done something wrong. And if we are moving the needle, we are on the right way. I think it's a very nice and holistic approach to kind of, yeah, measure everything and also make sure that your change is going in the right direction. And yeah, as a last question with where you are now at GS1, is there anything that's next that you can share with us today already? Yeah, there are a lot of things which are next. And I mentioned it, what does this tremendous technology development mean for us? It's not a given that we are here forever. It's not a given that the barcode is on every product on planet Earth forever. Yeah? What is our relevance in the next decade? And this is the important question we have to answer. And I gave a little bit of flavor with this IoT world. And I can describe on that example where the threat comes from and the opportunity. If you think in an IoT world where 30 billion devices are connected to each other, then you have to identify them. You have to know who is who and how they are related to each other and how they are connected. And today it's the biggest issue of these IoT ecosystems that they are very proprietary. So you have ecosystem A, ecosystem B, A cannot talk to B, therefore we need an Alexa skill to translate. That's the only reason for that, by the way, and things like that. So this will change. Yeah? The identification, the individualization, the personalization of things will grow dramatically. And we as GS1 have to identify what's our role with our identification schemes in this new world. Because, very simple, the person, organization, or institution who is able to identify these 30 billion IoT devices, they can easily identify a couple of million of consumer products or healthcare products as well. So this is threat and opportunity for us. And this is where we spend a lot of work and innovation and ideas uh, to work out our way. Yeah, right. 
Thomas, thank you so much for taking us along the whole transformation program of GS1. And it's super fascinating to hear how the changes you implemented basically helped the whole organization change for the better. And I also hope our listeners found some inspiration for their own transformation journeys as well. It's been great chatting with you. And thanks again. Thank you, Christina. It was a great pleasure. And all the best for you and your teams. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lost in Transformation. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe to our channel and leave us a review on iTunes. Join us next time for another episode of our podcast.